My dad was in the kitchen doing dishes. This was his usual evening spot. He would wash dishes, think about his day, and survey the street out front to see what was going on. Well, this one specific night, he noticed my grandmother, about 70 at the time, pulling up in front in her boyfriend's car just in from a date. They got out of the car very slowly. This was really the only pace they moved at, especially him since he had recently had knee replacement surgery. Locked arm in arm, they leaned on each other as they made their way up the front path to the door. Sure, they were old, and this seemed to be mostly so they could both stay vertical. But it was sweet. My dad watched until they got safely up the front steps and continued washing dishes. After a few minutes had passed, he thought it was odd he hadn't heard them come in yet. And the front door is right beside the kitchen, and they weren't exactly stealthy. Had they already gone inside and he just had not noticed? He looked out the window, having to crane to see the front door from his position, and there they were. Locked in a romantic embrace, or as some might say, making out or macking or sucking face. Or in their day, it might have been referred to as necking or canoodling. He recoiled in mild horror and went back to washing dishes. He scrubbed and scrubbed, but no matter how hard he did, the visual of his mother and her boyfriend just full-on making out would not leave him. Ten minutes later, having finally finished the dishes, he was about to shut off the lights and head to bed when he realized that she still had not come inside. Though he often saw their post-date drop-offs and even on occasion, the canoodling. They usually didn't linger outside this long. At their age, he considered any deviation from routine to be potentially worrisome and definitely worthy of further investigation. So he went to the door, turned the knob and opened it as loudly as possible, just as my grandmother shouted in the ear of her near-deaf boyfriend, Let's go upstairs to bed and give those new knees a whirl. My dad shrieked, or at least I would have, and slammed the door shut. He trudged down the stairs, muttering to himself and shaking his head while recounting the horrors that he had just seen and heard. Just as he hit the bottom of the stairs, Grandma and her boyfriend came in the front door laughing and headed upstairs. Presumably for that... world. Welcome to From Grandma with Shade, a podcast where I pay tribute to my outrageous and often problematic grandmother by sharing first and secondhand stories about her life. Although she would have loved the idea of a podcast about her, once I explained to her what a podcast was, she probably would not have really appreciated the stories that I've chosen to share with her. The stories are real, though they have been embellished over time in the way that happens when a story is told many times over many, many years. As I've said before, my grandmother lived upstairs from my parents. This wasn't a fully separate space. She had her own kitchen and bathroom and everything up there, but it didn't have a separate entrance, so she was always just there. 
No door or enclosure to block out any of what was happening. And boy would some separation have spared us all from hearing some very weird things over the years. My grandmother and her boyfriend spent a large part of their relationship sitting in her dining room playing cribbage, or reading in her sitting room, and preparing meals together in her kitchen. As a kid, I would go upstairs most evenings and sit with them, at least for a bit. When I would walk in and he would see me, he would reach up to his ears and turn on his hearing aids to greet me. Clearly a part of his strategy for a successful relationship with my grandma was selective deafness. Considering the crazy things that just routinely came out of her mouth, this was likely the only way that someone could survive being in a relationship with her. His hearing aid strategy, however, meant that my grandmother would have to speak very loudly to get his attention. With no walls or doors separating us, you could hear every word they exchanged from pretty much anywhere in the house. On occasion, if you were very unlucky, you would even hear some variation on these terrifying words. Shall we go lay down in bed together? You would then try to emotionally prepare yourself for what you may hear her loudly shouting to him next, or you would just find some reason to leave the house entirely. Look, I know that boyfriend may seem like an odd term for a man she had been with for so long, but they never married, they never even lived together. Lover is a no for the obvious reasons, and this was certainly long before partner was a term straight people used outside of a business context. I also like to say boyfriend because they were just really cute together, spent almost all their time with each other, would sit holding hands for hours, and clearly were still quite, uh, amorous. It was the candy-sweet young love you'd expect from teenagers, even though they were well past the expiration date for that. Perhaps the biggest reason, though, that I use the term boyfriend in this podcast is that that's what she called him. I think she liked that term because it sounded not only young, but somehow a bit scandalous for a woman her age as well. My grandmother was a vain woman, very focused on looks as well as how people perceived her, obsessed with both appearance and appearances. She had an extensive wardrobe, loved clothes, even made many of her own. She went twice weekly to get her hair done. It took a lot of work to maintain her perfectly stiff marshmallow poof of light silver hair with its signature white streak down the front. She wore an ever-increasing amount of makeup, set off from an almost Dorito orange foundation where bright pink lips, drawn-in gray eyebrows never quite symmetrical, and an epic amount of hot pink blush or rouge in her day. She wasn't intentionally painting herself like some sort of old lady clown, though. She was trying to conceal her self-assessed flaws. Years earlier, she'd had a small case of Bell's palsy. It's caused by nerve damage, which leads to muscle weakness. It can have the effect of making one or both sides of your face droop. The droopiness on the left side of my grandmother's face was nearly imperceptible, but to her, it seemed it was all people saw when they looked at her. Well, that and the ravages of aging. In the mid-90s, when she was about 65, my grandmother had her Bell's palsy surgically corrected. This was how she described it, at least, ever one to minimize the truth when it didn't align exactly with the image of herself in her mind. The truth in this case was that she'd had a pretty major facelift. 
Steeples running from front to back down each side of her head, face looking like you could just bounce a quarter off it. She was bandaged, bloody, and bruised for weeks, and would just look me dead in the eye as I fed her through a straw and say that she'd had a minor procedure just to fix the palsy. To her great annoyance, I repeatedly asked, but wasn't the palsy just on the left side? Post-recovery, it seemed like she was really feeling herself. It was clear that it was becoming increasingly important to my grandma to be seen as sexy, even by her family. This brings us to today's story. Grandma gets shot. Well, I suppose more accurately, the sound should really be... Because this week's story, actually stories, are about my grandma's love for taking sexy photos. The very height of this was her early 90s glamour shot, taken at an actual glamour shots in Las Vegas, no less. Take a moment to really soak that in. My grandmother went to Vegas and went to friggin' glamour shots to have a portrait taken. That's perhaps the most quintessentially 90s thing that has ever happened. The resulting image from this Vegas photo shoot is the one that's now emblazoned on the cover of this very podcast. My grandmother with professionally done hair adorned with a pink silk flower makeup to enhance her freshly surgered face, fully ensconced in ruffles of pink soft fabric, and giving what I think is supposed to be a come-hither stare right to camera. This was certainly part of her sexiness rebrand, but it didn't stop there. While getting the photo taken is in and of itself amazing, it's what she did with it after that's the most fascinating part. Cut to, it's Christmas Eve. The setting, my aunt and uncle's house in the midst of nowhere. Actually, only about an hour from our house, but it's like a whole different world. Like legit cows and horses type farmland. My whole family is there. Parents, grandma and her boyfriend, my aunt, uncle, and my young cousins. The trek out there, on that very snowy afternoon, took almost three hours because of the weather. Safe to say that by the time we arrived, the adults were not in the most jolly of spirits. My aunt and uncle, having meticulously planned and timed the perfect holiday feast, were clearly ticked. My grandma and her boyfriend seemed mildly irritated, though I'm sure she was likely very rude to him for three straight hours in the car but presumably he employed his favorite selective deafness survival tactic. My mom and dad, though, the most annoyed. Always in my own little world, I didn't really mind the drive at all. I just sprawled out across the backseat of the car, put on my disc man, and disappeared into Boys to Men. More specifically, the song, I'll Make Love to You. On repeat. For three hours never considering how odd it must have been to hear a child singing along to that song in full voice for that long. Obviously, this in no way contributed to my parents' mood. How dare you even suggest that? As soon as we arrived, we were rushed to the table and dug into the feast. As a child, one of three in the room who were all used to the order of operations being gifts first and then dinner, being asked to sit through dinner and stare at your presence under the tree just out of reach was nearly impossible. 
By the end of dinner, things had reached a fever pitch. The level of irritation among the adults was at its absolute pinnacle now, and the kids were desperate to dig into the gifts. Like now. Like right now. Finally, we gathered as a family around the tree. My uncle, I think trying to diffuse the tension, took on the role of Santa with enthusiasm, chortling a HO 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 as he started to hand out the gifts. We began to ravenously unwrap, celebrating as we revealed the clothes and toys and CDs and books and whatnot that we had gotten. After a first couple of rounds of gifts to satiate the children, my uncle turned to the adults, handing a gift from my grandma to my dad and one to my aunt. They began to unwrap their gifts, shooting each other a glance I didn't understand at the time, but now know to be the telltale look of one bracing oneself for disappointment. From the wrapping paper in each of their laps emerged a picture frame, and as they came into focus, we saw that they were slightly different picture frames containing identical photos of my sexy grandma from Glamour Shots in Vegas. Again, my dad and aunt exchanged a glance. This time I understood it right away. I'd seen this look before, mostly from my dad. In fact, I'd seen this look on his face the whole way out there in the car. They looked angry. Unable to hide his irritation, my dad tersely asked my grandmother what the heck this was. This would have taken much restraint, as my dad doesn't often use the term heck. His vocabulary is both far more extensive and far more colorful than that. My aunt also blurted out an incredulous response. My grandmother, seemingly not noticing his question and disregarding her protest, went on to tell us all the story of getting that photo taken. How all of these people had been fawning all over her, tending to her like a celebrity. Apparently she never felt so sexy. This didn't really impact my dad and my aunt's feelings about the gift. Their mother's photograph expression of sexiness gifted to them to display proudly in their homes, oddly enough, did not appeal to them. I, on the other hand, rushed over, ripping the photo from the albeit very loose grasp of my father, and sped over to my grandmother to tell her how beautiful she looked in it, to comment on how the flower in her hair went so perfectly with the giant pink taffeta ruffle that adorned her neck, to gush about how amazing the makeup and hair was that they had done for her, and just to make her feel good, how totally symmetrical her face looked. I was the only person other than my grandma who seemed to think that this was an amazing gift. My dad and aunt were now grumbling on the other side of the room. You could catch the odd, how dare she, or what kind of gift is this? This gift had landed like a lead balloon. Not the sexy token of maternal love that she had thought would be a total vibe. My uncle, trying to get things back on track, started handing out the gifts again. The kids each tearing into the gifts that Grandma had gotten us. I don't recall exactly what she got us, likely clothes, it was usually clothes. I ripped open, let's call it a sweater, and was immediately overwhelmed with disappointment. My cousins looked happy with theirs, but I was bummed. Where was my framed Grandma Glamour shot? How come the adults got one, but I didn't? Trying to move past my disappointment, but wanting everyone to know I was disappointed, I loudly sighed as I dramatically ripped the card out of the envelope that had come with my, I said sweater, right? 
Out of the card flew a scrap of paper, or what looked like a scrap of paper, and landed face down on the floor. As I picked it up and flipped it over, there it was. My own wallet-sized version of the picture. I was elated, and I was not quiet about it. My very young cousins opened their cards as well, and were treated to the same surprise, though their reactions were much less positive than mine. I spent the rest of the evening staring at the picture. It was magnificent, and I couldn't wait to show this gift off to the other kids at school in January. Once they saw how cool my grandma was, they'd all want to be friends with me for sure. Now I just needed a wallet to put it in. In the weeks and months after Christmas, my dad and aunt spoke often about my grandmother's gift, endlessly making fun of it and her, and not just behind her back, sometimes quite openly in front of her. Having heard almost an entire year of negative reviews of my grandmother's excellent gift, and with Christmas fast approaching again, I had a great idea. This would be the first year I would buy gifts for people with my own money that I had saved up from my birthday and my allowance. I was really pumped. So, like a typical adolescent with some money burning a hole in their pocket, I headed off to the Sears Portrait Studio. For those who are unfamiliar, Sears is a department store, but not a nice one. The Sears Portrait Studio was certainly a far cry from the fabulous, gauzy world of Las Vegas glamour shots. But I was a kid growing up in the suburbs of Toronto, so a budget department store photo studio was as good as I was going to do. Cut to Christmas Eve dinner. This time at least the trip there was smoother, so we got right to the gifts before dinner. Natural order had been restored. Once again my uncle took on the role of Santa. Per his usual practice, he gave each of the kids something to open. The whole time, even as I opened my gifts, I was distracted by the anticipation of my family opening their gifts from me. I was so proud. Finally, I see my uncle handing out the gifts from me to my mom and dad, and the one for him and my aunt to my aunt. They begin to unwrap their gifts, each shooting me that patronizing look of feigned excitement, the kind that says, I have low expectations of this gift from a child, but I'm going to pretend to like this. From the wrapping paper in each of their laps emerged a picture frame, and as they come into focus, they see they are identical photos again. But this time, of me. Now this wasn't a matching image. I didn't even try to copy my grandma's iconic glamour shot. I was 14. I wasn't trying to convey sexiness. I wanted to be seen as smart. And really, what says smart more than dumping what must have been a full bottle of gel in my hair, slicking it heavily to the side, putting on my favorite pomegranate colored cable knit sweater and posing with my hand poised to my head as if deep in thought. Unable to hide his irritation, my dad tersely asked me what the heck this was. My aunt also blurted out an incredulous response. Seemingly not noticing his question and disregarding her protest, I went on to regale them with a fictional glamorous story of going to get the photo taken. It's not like I could tell them that after finding my way to the studio, which was just past the clearance section of mattresses in the back corner of a strip mall Sears, my photographer made me wait 30 minutes. I couldn't admit that there were no hair or makeup people there to prepare me and fawn all over me, though all those things were quite evident in the photo. 
When my grandmother opened her wallet-sized version of the picture, she rushed over to me to tell me that I looked so handsome and added that it was good that I had smiled with my mouth closed so that no one could see my teeth. At least this was a compliment, no matter how backhanded. And so what if it was? My grandma had taught me that all attention was good attention. My, what fascinating lessons I had taken from my grandmother's gift the year before and my family's reception of it. Luckily, since I was a child, everyone was much nicer to me about it. Though if you went to any of their homes today, you definitely would not find those framed photos of me. You wouldn't find my grandma's glamour shot either. I, on the other hand, have accumulated nearly every copy of her glamour shot that she gifted that Christmas, including the frames. I guess my near obsession level appreciation for it was apparent to everyone in my family. So instead of just tossing them, they gave them to me. One day, shortly after my grandmother's death, I was at my parents' house helping to clean out her apartment, going through some old photo albums of hers. I'm sitting there with my dad at my grandmother's dining table where she and her boyfriend had played thousands of games of cribbage, and I opened one of the albums. We flipped through, talking about each picture and its backstory, laughing and joking around as we go. Then I flipped the page again, and there, staring right back at me is a picture of my grandmother posing seductively in the bathtub, just barely covered by suds. The tub was one of those very late 80s big corner jacuzzi tubs, adorned with a pink inflatable bath pillow shaped like a seashell. Those were such a big thing at the time. Once I collected myself from my initial shock, I asked my dad, who took this picture and why did she keep it in a family photo album? I mean, that was weird, even for her. Now it was my dad who looked confused. He responded quite quizzically, asking, You don't remember who took this photo? Just as I said, No, why would I remember? He slowly turned to the next page in the album, and there it was. An identical photo. Same corner tub, same inflatable seashell pillow, same everything. Except one thing was different. It was me in the tub this time, and I was only about eight years old. My dad looked at me and said, you took that photo of her and then insisted she take one of you. These photos and this backstory were such a stark reminder of just how much I had once worshipped my grandma. I clearly wanted to be just like her. Obviously still too young to fully understand how problematic she was. While I don't specifically remember this sexy intergenerational bathtub photo shoot, I can imagine the situation so vividly. Me calling out to her to try different poses and expressions and telling her she looked fabulous. Then when she got out of the tub, immediately handing her the camera and jumping in myself yelling, my turn. Join me next week for a new tall tale of the old short woman I called Grandma. In next week's episode of From Grandma with Shade, I'll share even more stories about my grandmother's, um, atypical approach to gift giving when Grandma Gives Gifts.